Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi there, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Fever Dreams. This is a special crossover episode with The Daily Beats, The New Abnormal podcast, whose host Molly Jongfast and Fever Dreams producer Jesse Cannon join our very own Will Summer to interview Frederick Brennan. You may know Frederick as the breakout star of the HBO Max hit documentary Q Into the Storm. Frederick is the founder of 8chan, but has since become a vocal opponent against its present owners, Jim and Ron Watkins. On this episode, he will lay out the evidence he has that they are the ones who are operating as Q. Please subscribe to Fever Dreams, as we will be continuing to explore the fringes of the American right and what they are up to. Enjoy the interview. You were sort of the breakout star of this documentary on QAnon. What do you feel like the filmmaker left out? I think that the reason that I'm, as you're saying, the breakout star is just because there are so few good people featured in that documentary (laughs) that anybody who is even moderately, you know, sane comes out looking like the greatest person. But that would be my answer to that. You know, as far as what he left out, I have to be totally honest. I haven't even watched the last few episodes because, I mean, I experienced all of that and it was very difficult for me, you know, those days and leaving everything and all of that. So I've still not done so. I I need to, but I haven't. But, you know, yeah, that's all I can say. So, Fred, you've talked a lot about it. It's in your Twitter bio that you think Ron and Jim Watkins should be arrested. What should they be arrested for? And can you make that case? Sure, that's pretty easy. Essentially, what QAnon was, what the Q poster was doing, was impersonating a federal agent. That is, at its simplest, what Q is. The only reason anybody ever believed in any of the Q drops is because they believed that they were coming from a source inside uh, the Trump White House. In, In particular, they believed that they were coming from a military intelligence source. And that is textbook impersonation. And the Watkinses received material gain for that in terms of their psychology getting bigger than being featured in mass media. He had a super PAC, I believe he still has it, called Disarm the Deep State that received donations. He received ads that he would not have received otherwise. People knew that they had to come to this source to see them. So he received ad revenue that he would have not gotten otherwise. All sorts of ways that he profited personally from the fact that people believed that there was, you know, impersonation of a federal agent going on there. And Ron Watkins himself, I in the documentary, admitted that he at least posted his cue at least once. That's how I read it, you know. He didn't start it necessarily, but he was the only one that could say who had written a Q post because he was the admin of 8chan. And in the same way that Jack Dorsey could take over somebody's Twitter account and start posting as them, he can do the exact same thing. And he admitted that, you know, right at the end of the documentary, I did see that clip. And this impersonation, whether the charge would be, you know, conspiracy to impersonate or impersonation itself, you know, for Ron and Jim, it, it I think a very strong case can be made. And the only reason that, uh, let's say, you know, the federal government has chosen not to is because 
for some reason, we have this idea that the Department of Justice is only supposed to charge cases that are, you know, guaranteed wins, like 99% conviction rate or whatever. But I think that this case is too important and that the courts should be left to decide whether or not what they did was impersonation of a federal agent, even if there is this, you know, new medium at the Internet and there is all of this new stuff because the Internet is the world and it affects the world. And we can't keep looking at the Internet and being like, oh, well, it happened online. So it, it, this needs a lot less resources and a lot less attention. Uh, we should actually be looking at it in the opposite way that crimes that occur online should receive at least as much attention, if not more. Hey, Fred. Uh, so, you know, obviously, so for those who haven't seen the documentary, you were working for Jim uh, after selling 8chan to him. When did you first begin to suspect that, that Jim and Ron might be in control of Q? So just a little bit of my backstory. I made 8chan in 2013, October, and within when it got popular, which was around August of 2014, I could no longer, you know, afford to continue doing it. And I didn't necessarily want to continue doing it on my own. So I essentially just, you know, gave it over to them. And I believed that their ownership of Two Channel, which is a Japanese uh, website that's similar, would make them, you know, qualified and prepared to do that. And I wasn't aware of the shady means that they managed to get control of that site. In any case, I had no ownership over it by um, January of 2015. And by April of 2016, I had already resigned and I was working on other projects for them. So, you know, I, even though that's the case, I was still kind of working with the same people and talking to them on a daily basis, even if it's only about, you know, two channel. Obviously, as is seen in the documentary, Jim Watkins is saying stuff like, oh, I hope you'll come back. And, you know, they would always try to give me news about what's going on on 8chan to try to get me to come back as its admin again. So when Q originally came to 8chan, which was in 2017, or yeah, like right at the end, right at the end of 2017, like December and then 2018, January, right that era. Ron Watkins was very excited about this because he had all of these new users on 8chan. And I believe that that's kind of when he started thinking to himself, how is he going to keep control of this new community? Because, you know, in the same way that they left 4chan and came to 8chan, you know, they could leave 8chan and go somewhere else. So he came up with that, you know, so-called secure trip code system to keep Q essentially locked into the walled garden of 8chan where it could no longer leave. And then once Q wrote the post that, you know, there will be no outside communication, that sealed the deal. Nothing outside of this platform. Essentially, Q would only post on 8chan according to Q. So I became convinced for sure that they had taken over the Q account after the shootings that occurred. There were multiple. There was the Christchurch shooting and then the manifesto got uploaded to 8chan. There was the Poe shooting, same thing. There was the El Paso shooting, same thing happened again. And after those three shootings, 8chan became very unstable because I came out against it and I was able to keep it offline for months at the end of 2019 until they finally were able to move over to a Russian hosting provider that I was not able to influence. But in the period between Q did not post at all. Q was not able to reach their followers at all. And when 8chan came back online, it was extremely unstable. And I was trying to post on it to see if it worked. And it was not working at all for me, but somehow Q was posting. And that was kind of the moment for me that sealed the deal that they decided during this hiatus, at least if they had not already been controlling it before, they were controlling it now. And Q somehow had administrator credentials, because I know how the site worked, that posts that are made through the admin 
management functions are prioritized. There's a high load. So I knew, you know, at that moment that they had taken it over. So what was the moment that you knew that the walk-ins were Q? Uh, like I said, when 8chan was, had been down for three months because of me, and then it came back, and Q had no way of knowing if he was a third party that this was going to be a stable solution. Because 8chan had been up and down, you know, first as 8chan and then as 8coon, and then I had been able to manage to pull it back down again. Like, this was like their fourth attempt to get back online. First, they did it through the uh, Chinese host. Then they did it through a few American hosts. And then I believe a British one was in there somewhere of auxility. And every time it would get taken down. And if Q were a third party, he'd have no way of knowing that this was going to be the time that it's going to work. And he would want to safeguard his ability to reach his followers by writing something like, hey, in case 8chan doesn't last, you can find me at Gab or yeah. And he didn't do that. And not only did he not do that, he continued in this only 8chan, only ever 8chan stance. And like I said, I was trying to post on 8chan and I'm its admin. So I, you know, I was its admin for years. I wrote all of its software. My name is still on the bottom because of the open source licensing requirement. You know, they have to attribute the author of the code. That's one of the only things they have to do because it's free software. So they can use it and I have no legal right to stop them, but they have to attribute me. And so I'm sitting there as somebody who wrote the software. If anybody should be able to post, it should be me. And I'm not able to. Other technically inclined people that were trying at the time were not able to. And somehow Q can. And that day in November 2019, when 8chan came back online and Q was able to post when the site was barely working at all. It was kind of only up over Tor. And even then, it was only read-only. You could not write. And somehow Q can write when nobody else can. So, yeah, that that's when I knew. <sighs> Do you think definitively, are you sure it's them? Yes, for sure. I'm sure that they took it over. I have no way of knowing who started it. I have no way of knowing, like, who they were in contact with, who could have helped them write drop. That's not something I can know. You know, were they in contact with other people such as Bannon, such as uh, General Flynn Stone? Those are not things that I'm capable of knowing. But I know that at the end of the day, it was Ron and Jim who are holding the keys to the server. And it's them who decides what gets written as Q and who is going to, you know, have the so-called honor of having the trip code and the verification through 8chan. And so, yes. I'm sure it's them. I, you know, it would be very interesting if anybody else was helping them. So far, there's no proof of that. But yeah, I could not be more convinced. When did you know that this all had to be stopped? Like, when did you realize that 8chan had to go? Well, it was after the Christchurch shooting for me. So it was all the way back in March of, no, that would be May of 2019. So quite a while ago now. And everything that has developed since then, you know, the Chrysler shooting, Poe, El Paso, uh, the Hollis shooting in Germany. The person who did that was an HN user, but just wasn't able to post it on HN because HN was down. But he made references to uh, HN and employees of HN even. He made references to Mark in it. So we know that he's an HN user. And all of those shootings were what sealed the deal for me. But to see how they were able to not only survive after all of those shootings, but to, as they put it, embrace infamy, thrive and continue this QAnon movement into something during the pandemic that became so explosive that it led to the storming of the U.S. Capitol and the kind of intrusion of the Confederate flag farther than it had ever been since the Civil War. I mean, you know, it should be pretty obvious to everybody by now that HN is a site that continuously breeds domestic terror because its owners 
like it that way. They like the embrace infamy. They like everything that's going on. And they enjoy immensely the attention that they get and the power that they wield. And, you know, if they aren't put a stop to now, I don't even know what they could do next. That, But they have all the skills. They still have all these radicalized users. And the thing about conspiracy theories and grifts like this is that, you know, the people never learn their lesson. They just keep looking for another conspiracy theory. And it's only a matter of time before there's another one that radicalizes them again. And we have the same kind of sequence of events. So, you know, I definitely think that they should be held to account for impersonating a federal agent. I definitely think that they should be, you know, held to account for using Russian hosting because they can't find anyone in the U.S. that will support their toxic views and beliefs. I've even thought that with all of the sanctions they have, why is it legal for an American host, or I'm sorry, an American website to even use Russian hosting? That doesn't even make sense. Obviously, the only reason you would need to do that is to circumvent, you know, U.S. law, right? So I, but I guess people just don't take it seriously because it's just internet stuff. And that's part of the big problem. I mean, if it were people coming over from Russia and helping them, well, there would be all sorts of legal requirements around that. But having a server in Russia is suddenly, oh, it's all different, you know, because it's a server. But the line is still running, you know, straight from Russia into the United States. And that's where all of the traffic goes. And that's where all of the Q drops were traveled along that line through, you know, the entire storming of the Capitol and the year before. So. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Fred, I, I think for a lot of people, a very striking moment from the documentary is the, and I realize you haven't seen the latest episodes, but is the, your final hours in the Philippines when, um, when you escape the country. I mean, I'd be curious, uh, it, whether that was, you know, as that certainly seemed very intense in the video. Well, you know, what was that like from your perspective? Well, it was extremely intense so much so that yes, I have still not seen the last moments be- or the last few episodes because I remember how intense it was. And I, you know, it was really an extremely dangerous situation where, you know, that documentary was not like reality TV. You know, that was reality. If we did not get out of that airport, then I would have been detained in the Bureau of Immigration Bicotan Detention Center. That's the name of it. And I would have most likely died there. So, you know, it was extremely frightening that these Watkinses were able to use the money that they've gotten from having, you know, stolen two channel, first of all, and profited from the ads on that to hire lawyers to file this case that, according to their own stated beliefs, should not even be a moral thing to do to sue somebody and put them in jail for saying that you're senile. That should not be a moral thing to do, but they have no morals. And I really believe that both of them are psychopaths. I There's just no moral compass or anything going on there. It's just, how can we keep our grift going? How can we keep ourselves in power? How can we put a fascist state in power? And how can we hurt our enemies to the utmost possible? And they almost managed to kill me via the legal system in the Philippines. And I was very fortunate to have high 
hired an attorney who was able to pull strings and help me get out. I don't know if in the documentary they even show how close it was, but the warrant was issued at noon that day. So it was, my memory is like a 20 minute time we had left when the plane took off. It was that close. So, you know, obviously I'm still traumatized from it and I don't, you know, obviously I'm just going to have to kind of, you know, work on that on my own, get some therapy maybe. And uh, obviously Watkins won't be paying for that. He should, but. (laughs) (laughs) Fred, you just alluded though that they want a fascist state. Can you tell me about any experiences you've had where you've seen that they really support fascism? Sure. I guess I can start with Iran. Ron is one of the most racist people that I think I've ever met. Pretty close. I mean, the things that he would say, like about Africans, you know, uh, for example, his wife is a Chinese national, Chloe Watkins, and she allegedly, according to Ron, has businesses in Xinjiang. And also her family is like one of the Chinese families that's investing apparently in Africa. And he would say stuff constantly about how the Africans are so dumb that they need these Chinese people there kind of controlling their, in his words, animalistic urges and putting them to good use and, you know, building their society and that what they really need is colonialism. So it's a good thing the Chinese came along. And he is indeed one of the most racist people I've ever met. And his dad is not much better. I mean, you know, he one day in the office, he's just. So he had misplaced a remote, and this was one reason I thought he might be senile. He misplaced the remote, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, essentially, at his Filipino employees that are kind of gathered there, that they're so dumb, and that he got this new office for them and these new air conditioners, but they don't know how to take care of anything, and they already lost the remote, and that he understands why, during the Spanish era, the Spanish conquistadors used to cut off the arms of Filipinos to get them to behave and to listen. So, you know... Obviously, there's extreme racism from the both of them. And, you know, as far as whether or not they want a fascist state, I believe it's extremely clear. They, in the documentary, in the ones I saw, it's clear that Ronald thinks that if Q were real, it would be a good thing to round up all of the Democrats and put them in Guantanamo Bay and execute them. That's what Q is. That's the goal of Q. That would be the storm when all of the Democratic politicians and the so-called rhinos, uh, which are basically every Republican that is not, you know, kissing up to Trump 24-7, when all of those people are killed, allegedly, that will bring out the storm. And then that will be like the fixing of America, becoming a patriotic place and realignment with God and all of this, you know, evangelical crap. And so that's obviously fascism. One of the things I was struck by throughout the movie was like, I feared for your safety. Did you ever think that Ron or Jim would like put a hit out on you? (laughs) I thought about it sometimes, but I thought that they were too much of a coward. And I thought that my public persona would have made it too hard for them to do that, that the only ones that really would have wanted me dead were them. And that's where the investigation would have gone right away. And, but, you know, I mean, I also did know of the case of John McAfee, who there's a very convincing documentary that he murdered his neighbor and he got away with that. He's in jail right now on tax fraud, but, you know, he was pretty much able to escape a similar foreign country, uh, without really any consequences as far as the murder went. I did think about that, but I believe that the way that the Watkinses decided to try to take me out also shows their cowardice because they could have, for much cheaper, just killed me and have it guaranteed to work. But they decided to, you know, use this roundabout way through the legal system, put me in a jail that has no medical care, and then, you know, I'll die there. And then 
that's it. I was right in some ways that they were never going to put out a hit on me, but I was wrong in terms of what they could do through the legal system. It, it, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I'm definitely not a Filipino lawyer. And so I wasn't even understanding that a foreigner can lodge that kind of case. That seems crazy that a foreigner can sit in a Filipino courtroom, which is, by the way, one of the most bogged down court systems in the world. It There are so many cases of Filipino citizens that actually need, you know, to see a trial. And yet Jim Watkins is able to skirt in there, throw some money around and take up valuable time of the court on multiple occasions. You know, they reissued the warrant, too. So, you know, he's sitting in court all the time trying to, you know, forward this ridiculous case. So you haven't seen the latest episodes, but there's a moment where Cullen shows that Jim owns some sites that are clearly aimed at the pedophiles. Did you ever see them engage in anything like pedophilia or any tendencies towards that? Well, I will say this. Jim Watkins and his son both were extremely uninterested in doing the bare minimum that every other website that allows user-generated content does to have some kind of machine learning to filter child pornography and other, you know, child sexual abuse materials, CSAM. That's what they call it in the tech industry. And it is basically a bare minimum standard, so much so that in some countries, it's a legal requirement that you have to have a machine learning based filter to automatically do a lot of this stuff. And they were proud of the fact that they don't have one. In Congress, you know, they wrote that in their message to Congress that they had to write because they were subpoenaed, that they don't have that kind of system, that everything is, you know, we don't have algorithms, we don't have robots, everything's all done by humans. And, you know, at the time of a report. And so obviously with that kind of system, there is always going to be a proliferation of that content because human moderators are expensive and cannot go through it all. And it's psychologically damaging to those human moderators too. So I feel like they built their site in such a way and continued to allow it to operate that way that such material could continue to, you know, uh, reproduce. And one of the things that I thought they were going to do when they got control of it and that I was continuously trying to get Ron to do was to hire somebody that had implemented uh, such a procedural hash, machine learning, some kind of system like that, which is used at every other social media business to do that. And they always had something better to do. They always had an excuse for why that wasn't worth it and why they didn't have to legally even do so. I know the investigation that was mentioned in the documentary. It's a Mother Jones piece about how they had uh, yeah, domain names. Um, I, I remember that when that happened. And, you know, it doesn't shock me at all that this is who they are. They are people who do not care as long as it's bringing them traffic. And if they can skirt around the law, which they're very good at doing, Japanese law, American law, Filipino law, they're very good at legal arbitrage and putting things in different countries, you know, Russia now also. And by doing all of that, they're able to skirt around a lot of law. And, you know, I would hope that our government would take it seriously now that Q has become such a thing. But I kind of feel like, you know, people, a lot of people look at this documentary and they say, oh, well, you know, that's not going to change the minds of the Q people. So what's the point of even doing this? And that's totally missing the point. The reason to figure out who is posting is QAnon. Like, it's good if it helps some QPeak, right? That's a good thing if it helps them get out of it. But I don't see that as the main reason to do it. The main reason to do it is to bring accountability on the people who are impersonating a federal agent and to change laws if they need to be changed to make it so that you cannot just go on a website and profit off of pretending to be in the government and tricking people. You know, it's fraud. So it seems like the, um, you know, obviously the documentary seems to have been pretty successful. I, I, I know we're here, we're getting a lot of examples 
examples of people watching it. But I wonder if there's anything else you'd like uh, people who watch the documentary to know that maybe didn't make it in. You know, I feel like Cohen did an excellent job. As far as this story goes, he revealed a lot of new things about them that were not known before. I mean, Ron Watkins had never even gotten close to admitting that he's posted his cue before. And then he got that amazing slip up. And then, you know, that whole crazy story about Ron Watkins, like trying to pin it on Bannon is something that was not known at all either. Like Ron Watkins starts on the first day of the documentary saying, I have no idea who Q is. I'd never know. And then he flips on a diamond and he's like, oh, I've known it was by Bannon since day one. So G Ron, when Cohen was there on day one, why didn't you say that it was Bannon, right? Why didn't you air this theory? I feel like he just set that up during the interim period of the in- interviews that he did. And I really Really, just Ron Watkins is such a, yeah. (laughs) On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.